0: Not a busy day here at all. Just a few things going on. So, it's good. It's great to have you here with us. You got me. You are good. All right. So, this morning we're a uh, little switch up. We uh, were continuing in Messy Church through the study of First Corinthians, but uh, went to bed rather early last night for me. I was pretty tired, and but I woke up at two o'clock, wide awake, and I was like, "Man, if this is going to be the last sermon of Ju- uh, of June." for the church what what is kind of the central message that we've been you know preaching and teaching the last four years of the ministry here and it's the great commission it's the fact that jesus christ came to earth for a purpose and he died and he rose and it that wasn't the end that's only the beginning and that's what's so exciting about jesus christ and i love it because when you walk out of the doors here it says you're now entering the mission field and that sign was up, I don't know how long it's been up, but it was up long before I got here. And I love that sign because it's so true. And, you know, our mission statement here at Randall is we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. We believe that that is scriptural, that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That, and it starts here. And it's not a here or there. It's not a us or them. It is all the above because Jesus Christ is king. And Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our praise and all honor. And uh, so this morning, we're not going to be in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, uh, so they're fixing the PowerPoint now, just a few things going on. But we'll go old school, actually open some paper. So you can grab a Bible in front of you, or you can use your device and uh, turn or punch in Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 through 20 and just a few statistics to start thinking about the status of where we're at in this mission and what's completed and what's not completed um, when we use terms you know it's, it's helpful that we all are working from the same glossary from the same vocabulary there are over two billion, five hundred million people in this world that are still unreached When we use a word like unreached, that means they do not have the gospel at all. But an unreached people group, less than 2% of that nation follows Jesus Christ. When we use the word unreached, less than 2% of that nation is following Jesus Christ. When we use the word unengaged, that means there is no missionary currently ministering to that people group. No missionary ministering to that people group. And there are 2,200 52 language groups that still do not even have the Bible translated into their language. 2,252 language groups that don't have the Bible translated for them. Maybe a section of John, but not the full Old Testament, New Testament. There are 2,365 people groups with over 5,000 population, so a, a minimum of 5,000 in that people group that don't even have a missionary that's praying for them and trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, 95% of the world's 237 countries don't even have a current survey showing the villages and the barrios where there are no local churches. 70% of the world needs to receive the gospel message orally to really understand it, but we tend to minister with a literate approach. This is a a couple more statistics that are just staggering to me when I think about it. In America, we spend $10,000 to reach one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. $10,000 to reach one one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the rest of the majority world, we use $1 to reach 10 people. $10,000 to one person in America, $1 to 10 people in the rest of the world. Overseas, we have one pastor— Per 30 to 40 congregations not 30 to 40 congregants we have one pastor per 30 to 40 churches you're like well who's pastoring those churches great question great question in america 80 per 86% of americans identify with a christian denomination we know that that doesn't always mean much but there's an identification there in Amer- in in the majority world the past 20 years 330,000 leaders Let me say that again. 330,000 leaders in the last 20 years in the majority world have been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. 330,000. 83% of the majority world is unreached. In 119 countries, Christians are persecuted. And so I think that these words that Jesus (laughs) speak— At the end of Matthew, right before his ascension, he had his resurrection and he spent some more time with his disciples. And he's about to ascend to heaven. I think they are just as important to us today as they were then. When you think about the task and how it is still unfinished, how there is still work to be done, let's stand for the reading of God's holy word together. Please, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 through 20. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at that. John Murphy, PowerPoint extraordinaire, got it up on the screen. Thank you, John. Um, We'll go back to verse 16 now. You you may be seated. It's The reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of Matthew. So these are Jesus' last words before he is going to ascend into heaven. Now, we get the rest of this story from Luke in the book called acts the acts of the apostles and luke picks up there and tells hey you know jesus said this and then he went up and he said don't leave jerusalem because in a few days the holy spirit's going to come down so it's, it's cool how scripture fills in those gaps for us but jesus is at the mountain and he proceeded and and he told them hey we're gonna go there and they meet him there And it says in verse 17, let's see if my clicker works. There we go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, we know the 11 disciples were there, but, you know, many um, argue, well, were there other people there? Does that explain the doubt? And I'm here to tell you that God's not afraid of doubt. God's not afraid for you to wrestle because even though they had just seen Jesus beaten and seen Jesus crucified, and then on the third day they see the tomb empty, there's still, like, so much that Jesus said that they were like, okay, how is this going to play out? What's this Holy Spirit going to look like? And how is it going to endue us from on high? And how is it going to impact us and change our mission and change our life? What's that going to look like? And so they had these questions. And, and, and so we're, we're always like, feel like we have to explain away doubt when it's in our life. But we remember the man in Luke where he said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. God is not afraid of our unbelief. We have seen miracle after miracle. I think about the children of God coming out of the Exodus from Egypt. They saw the Red Sea parted. I mean, forget the frogs and the boils and the hell and the locusts and the Nile River turned to blood and then the Passover. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And then at the first opportunity, first trial, the first challenge to their faith, Why would you bring us out here to die? We should have died in Egypt. We hate you, Moses. Did they doubt? Did Did they wrestle with their faith? Jacob wrestled with God. Peter wrestled with God. Is it healthier to deny your angst or to be honest with your angst? You read the Psalms, and the Psalmist says, I poured out my heart before him. I mean, David, you you read the Psalms and you're like, you're a schizophrenic, man. Is it bipolar David? Good day David? Bad day David? What's going on, David? He's a human that's being real, that's being honest. There's doubt that's in there. That doesn't mean you don't believe. It's just like, hey, man, I'm struggling with this aspect. But I know who you are. But I'm battling, struggling. text that we were supposed to look at today, and I, I feel like it's a appropriate correlation from 1 Corinthians 14. And, you know, it was talking about order and church and worship and the role of the prophets and the role of tongues and the role of all of the gifts coming together in the body for the glory of God. And, you know, I went to a charismatic high school for a couple years, and I have been to many different charismatic churches. I have a charismatic friend that's here today to support me and pastor and um and it's funny because when we talk you know he'll introduce me as his baptist friend pastor and i'm like dude you know it's not that i'm ashamed of anything baptist but my loyalty's to jesus you know it's jesus it's jesus it's jesus he's like yeah i just do that to get you man and i'm like i know and i'm like well i introduce you as my crazy pentecostal friend pastor so it's all good but uh no but but where i feel like the charismatics really honed down into something that a lot of the conservative evangelicals miss out on is the power of God and the belief in any and every situation to apply that. And to say, God, nothing limits you, God. You are limitless. You are amazing. You are so powerful. And and see our doubt in these situations, we're afraid to step into that. But you Push through that. And and I've been in situations ministering with those that are more of the charismatic variety. And I love the boldness. They don't presume to be God. They don't presume what God will do or won't do. Because someone that has good theology understands that God's not our genie in a bottle. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's God. But he calls us to believe for miracles. He calls us to believe for the impossible. Do we believe that? And do we speak into that? there's a a good friend of ours is a born again catholic and then we got this pentecostal minister and then me so we go eat wings every once in a while and we're the punchline of everyone's jokes right you know what happens when a born again catholic and a pentecostal minister and an evangelical minister walk into uh, a wing bar and uh but you know it's funny every time that we've been in those situations god gives us opportunities to speak life last monday night we were eating wings and this guy looks over and he's like are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I am. He's like, that's amazing. I was like, well, why is that amazing? He's like, well, I had this image that you're going to have this, you know, this black robe on. I was like, well, you should have seen me 20 minutes ago, right? But no, he's like, you know, this robe on, and you, you can't have fun or watch basketball games or, or whatever. And I was like, man, it's about Jesus. And right there, the ministry of the gospel. And then this, this waitress was like, this asking questions. And the other minister started ministering in that situation right there while we were eating wings the power of god being ushered in and you can feel like man well josh you're a minister that you can do that we all are ministers we all have been given the gospel to speak life into situations it doesn't matter if you're eating wings it doesn't matter where you're at or if you're enthralled in the game i was really interested in the game i didn't see the last hour of it though we were ministering literally ministering i got the guy's number He lives across the street on Meadow Drive from Renewal Church. And he's like, I wondered who was meeting there. Could you hook me up with one of the ministers before you leave town? I was like, I'd love to. We've been texting all week. God's word does not return void. Do we step into that power or do we live in doubt? Do we push through the doubt? Do we believe that nothing is impossible with God? In verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is where her confidence comes from, from this statement. When Jesus Christ says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not a little authority, not a lot of authority, but all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, this is the resurrected Lord. He still has nail prints in his hands. He still has nail prints in his feet. When he says this, they don't say, are you sure about that? He has fully convinced them that he is the resurrected Lord, that he has defeated death. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed the multitudes. They saw him say, Lazarus, come forth. They saw him calm the storms. They saw him bring the sick girl from death death. To life, and then the ultimate. He was beaten, he was crucified, all the blood was removed from his body, but not a bone was broken according to the prophecy. And on the third day the tomb was empty. So when this guy, this Jesus, this God man, says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, they're gonna listen up. And he says, Go. Our mission is built upon the foundation of his authority of who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And how cool is it that we just got to see this before our very eyes? He says, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we know this text, we've heard this text, but may this text penetrate into the core of our being, that we would never be the same when we think about its full implications. How Every aspect of our life is to be impacted by the authority of Jesus Christ, by His power, by His greatness, by His majesty. Now there's one verb here in three participles, and you're like, I don't want a grammar lesson but it's kind of important because there's one imperative, there's one command and that's make disciples and then there's three descriptions of what a disciple maker does going, baptizing and teaching, teaching them. Participles you can usually pick out participles because they're ing words, right? So the ESV translation has this as go, but the NIV will have going there as you go or in your going. It's rendered a couple different ways. But the important part is the thrust of Jesus' challenge is to make disciples. And there's three key characteristics of a disciple maker. There's three key characteristics of someone that aligns with Jesus Christ. Going, baptizing, and teaching. The going is the movement. The going is the movement. The going is that passivity is not an option. And it's not about Bangladesh or Baton Rouge or Buffalo. It's about what God has for you. It's about your availability and your willingness to say, Here I am, Lord. Use me. I'm yours. Nate, our worship leader that's been with us, that we love, he's going to work with Inner Varsity in Albany. Right, Nate? I got it right? Albany. That's it. He's going. In obedience. He's going. My family and I we're going in obedience. And we're is it is it bittersweet to leave here? Yes, because we're excited to go and to obey the Lord, but we it's the relationships here that make it so tough. And that's that's what's so difficult. It's not like okay, see, I'm obedient to the Lord. No, you saw Paul when he was in Ephesus. There was tears. There was tears when you read Acts, there was tears because Paul's like, I'm leaving. But I know I'm going where the Lord wants me. And there was tears. The going is not easy. But it's about obedience to the Lord. It's about saying, Lord, here I am. And this is the first mark of a disciple. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And here are three great characteristics of a disciple. One who goes. Goes to work on mission. Goes to the gym on mission. If you go to the same coffee shop all the time, or if you go to the same grocery store all the time, or if you take the same, you know, walk, and you got the same route down, and and you start to get to notice people, I would encourage you to be consistent in that, and get to know that person's name that serves your coffee, or get to know that person's name that, you know, that that gets your dry cleaning, or whatever it may be, in your going, because we all have movement in our life, we all have movement. How can we redeem that movement and make that movement strategic? To say, God, it's not like you're there. You're everywhere. You're working everywhere. Help me to have your eyes to see what you're doing and where you're working. And I want to join you and be a part of that with you in that movement. There's no guilt for someone that doesn't go where I go. Guilt, number one, is not in the Christian faith. There's no condemnation. The, the sin issue or the disobedience issue comes if, if god's saying hey speak of me here at the laundromat speak of me here at school speak of me here at work and, and you start to say, no 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 see we're going already how do we recognize what god is doing all around us to have his eyes and to say god i want to speak words of life in this situation i want to speak words of life in this situation going, the movement, baptizing. Baptism is so powerful and we saw it today. Baptism is about identification. Baptism is marking. It is saying, I am with him. I am with him. I have been changed. I have been transformed. And it is such a powerful message to a watching world when we identify. With all that happened this week with the Supreme Court ruling, it is so important when a man and a woman When God created Adam and Eve, when he says, I am for you, and you are for me, we put wedding rings on, and it is a declaration to a watching world that we are for one another. I am not for her, I am not for him. You are not for him, and you are not for her. We are for one another. And this is a declaration. This wedding ring says, you are mine, and I am yours. Baptism is the same. It is a declaration of identification that says there is ownership there is a mark there is a mark that is upon me that says i have been baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ it's how paul started his letters i am a bond servant who what i thought you were a free roman citizen paul but see a bond servant had been set free and willingly offered himself to his master and said i am yours do you willingly offer yourself to your master and say, I am yours, and I identify to a watching world that I am his. That's what baptism is. It is a mark of identification. It's also beautiful and symbolic of the resurrection, of buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised with him in the likeness of his life. That's a picture from Romans chapter 5. Paul alludes to that there. It's also a picture of purification of washing away not that water washes away sins but it's a picture of being washed clean and we come forth pure and white as snow do we identify with jesus christ in that way in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit we see trinitarian activity we see the triune god emphasized here in jesus's declaration why is that important there's not three gods there is one god in three persons and they are unified in mission they are unified in purpose they are unified in our ontology and our purpose here on this earth to the praise and to the glory of his name and the mission to go out and i saved one of my favorite words for last there make disciples of all nations this is not you know, political states, the word there is tan ethne. It's the word that means really people groups, all those under the sun. So it's not just how many nations we have in this world. That's who needs a missionary. That's who needs us to go and to proclaim. It means every unique people group that has been created in the image of God that is unique and diverse. And as I read out those statistics, how many thousands don't even have the bible translated don't even have a missionary that is engaging them jesus said ten ethne go to them to all peoples that i would be praised and remember that all authority has been given to me this is the impetus of the charge and teaching now the teaching is so important because you don't have to have the spiritual gift of teaching to teach Everything that you do and say is a model. Everything that you do and say teaches. You teach whether you like it or not. The question, is it positive or negative? What kind of impact are you having with your life, with your values, with your words? As we go, in the going, as disciples of Christ, we are to be baptizing, helping people to identify. And then once there's identification, there's to be teaching disciples what what comes first there has to be movement there has to be movement then we help people identify with christ through salvation through baptism baptism does not save it is the symbolism of all that it represents jesus saves through faith alone and grace alone by christ alone and then we teach and we say this is what it means to follow because see that's what a disciple is is a learner so this is a powerful component is there teaching in our church Is there Sunday morning teaching? Is there Wednesday night teaching? Is there Tuesday afternoon teaching? At any time and every time, excuse me, is there teaching? Teaching, and I love Jesus simplifies it. He says, teaching them everything I have commanded you. Now, this is a reference back to John when he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you all that I've taught you. The Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. He will be your guide. He will be your counselor. And so immediately, see, we have the advantage, we have this, we have this, we have all of Jesus' words, we have the red letters right, right here. So none of us have an excuse to say, I don't know what I should teach someone. Jesus said, teach the red letters. And we have the red letters right here. They had the Holy Spirit and a promise that he would bring it to their recollection, which is cool as well. Are we living in obedience to the charge of Christ, to teach the words of Christ? because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God we're all about causes in this generation we always want to pick it and say we're going to show them our faith through our actions and that's important because faith without works is dead works are important action and cause is important but the spoken word is essential because faith it is impossible for someone to come to faith without hearing the gospel. Jesus has tied himself to use us for better or for worse. We are his ambassadors. We are his ministers of reconciliation. Jesus said, I could have used the rocks, but I've chosen you. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So are we teaching, boldly proclaiming, boldly living? Are we going and serving and speaking? obey everything that I've commanded you and just another great promise you know he had one promise it's a bookend 16 through 20 is a bookend of promises it starts with a promise that says all authority has been given to me all authority that is a promise it is a declaration a fact of truth and then look at this next promise here in 20 what is it I'll never leave you <laughs> I love I I love, I read from the NAS earlier, and lo, I will be like, lo, like, what does that mean other than it's an attention getter? Lo, you know, it grabs your attention. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do we believe that promise? Do we believe when he was talking to his disciples, you're gonna be arrested, you're gonna be taken before rulers? you are going to be bound you're going to be taken where you do not want to go and i promise you i will be with you and i will give you the words to speak do we believe that do we believe that he will not leave us nor forsake us in the high in the low in the mountain in the valley we have comfort that our God will never leave us nor forsake us. It doesn't matter the trial. It doesn't matter the challenge. It doesn't matter the tribulation. We have a Lord and Savior who defeated death and says, all authority has been given to me and I have a mission for you. Make disciples. How do you make disciples? You go, you baptize, you teach. And catch this, another great promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. See, this world is fickle. You live long enough, and and you'll get your heart broken. You'll get upset by people. You'll get disappointed, because that's what happens. In our pre-marriage counseling 13 years ago, Allison and I, our counselor and good friend, he said, the foundation of your marriage has to be Jesus Christ. And he says, the second is just an understanding that, Josh, you will disappoint Allison, and, Allison, you will disappoint Josh. Like, man, that's optimistic. Great, looking forward to marriage. You know, and, and he said, but no, marriage is work, it's beautiful, it's God's design, but don't live under some naive delusion of grandeur that it's not going to have challenges. The question is, will you love? Will you forgive? Will you press through? Will you do that? And see, knowing that Jesus, in this world that can be so challenging, and can have such ups and downs, Jesus is the constant. Jesus is never up or down. Jesus is faithful when we are faithless. Jesus is the one that is right there. He's our anchor. Do we believe in that? Do we live in that truth? That he is solid and constant. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you could give such words because you were God and you did not, you did not stay in your heavenly abode and say climb the mountain and figure out salvation but you came off the mountain and you died for us so we could live you died in our place on the cross so we could be forgiven jesus if there is anyone here today that does not understand the gospel or has more questions i pray that they would seek you i pray they would see that you are the god man that died in our place so that we could live forever and ever with you that we deserve death and shame and guilt And instead, you gave us life and hope. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. And we pray that you would be glorified today, Jesus. And we pray that you would have your way with us.